This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and Jay Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in sunny and warm still, Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And uh, and you also write a weather blog, don't you, Craig? Um, I do. It's on Coast to Coast. It's on Coast to Coast. Every week and, in and the And I write time. a blog called Law Sites and another blog called uh, Media Law and also contribute to the legal blog watch on law.com. Well, uh, it's about time of that time of year when we put aside the legal briefs and slip out of the courthouse and turn up the holiday tunes and try and spread some holiday cheer. Today on Coast to Coast, we're going to start the show by taking a look at the year in review and discussing our favorite legal topics that we've covered in this very exciting year. And then to end the program, uh, Craig will recite a rendition of Twas the Night Before Christmas, entitled Twas the Night Before Christmas, Legally Speaking. Well, Bob, this year was anything but uneventful. Um, big scandals in corporate America, Biox on trial, the war in Iraq. 2006 certainly saw some highs and lows. And we're going to start off the show by checking out uh, the highlights of this passing year and the two of us chatting about um, what the most talked about legal topic was in the year and covering some other issues. What, do you, what would you tag as the uh, biggest legal issue of the year, Bob? Well, you know what? Before we get to that, I'm going to I'm going to point out something uh, that uh, I'm going to remind uh, each of us, us that a year ago uh, you and I did a show in which we had a couple of guests on, and we actually uh, did some prognosticating and talked about what uh, we predicted might happen in 2006. Uh, and I actually went back and listened to that program recently, and um, How did much we do? to my surprise, we did pretty well. <laughs> Uh, not that there were, uh, not that it was rocket science, but for example, uh, obviously one of the things that we predicted would be a big story this year uh, were, was the Supreme Court and, and the impact of uh, Alito, who was uh, undergoing nomination hearings at that point. Um, and uh, obviously, that's turned into be one of the probably the biggest legal story of the year has been the Roberts Alito. Uh, impact on the Supreme Court and how that's reshaping the court. We've uh, actually done some shows on that, some of the uh, some new decisions. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we talked, a couple other things we talked about were the, the kind of the, the collision between uh, uh, terrorism policy and, and civil liberties. And, of course, uh, you know, we've seen a year in which the, the Hamden, v. Rubs, Rums, Hams, Hamden v. Rumsfeld case came down from the Supreme Court addressing that very issue uh, we talked about blogs. We talked about podcasting, uh, and uh, and so we we did pretty well at kind of pinpointing what some of the big issues were going to be for the coming year. Where did we bomb? Uh, I'm not sure. I think maybe the one place we we bombed is I, I think we had a prediction in there somewhere that that Tom Delay would be uh, uh, convicted uh, by now. Uh, we also predicted that Saddam Hussein would be convicted, and uh, we were at least right on that one. How about you? What do you see as some of the big legal stories this year, Craig? Well, I see some of the things, uh, some of corporate America's issues dealing with uh, 
HP and Enron and most recently the backdating stock options issues that have come up to be kind of the thing. I think it's been interesting to see uh, kind of general counsel in the large companies get on their soapbox and complain about uh, private law firms and the uh, expenses that they've incurred uh, over the course of defending themselves, and yet you see general counsel becoming the new Kenneth Lay of uh, of the legal industry in terms of uh, being targets for uh, a lot of criticism from the media and from the general public and certainly stockholders. Well, something else... Uh Something else I did uh, in, in thinking about our year-end show was I went back and looked at some of the shows we did over the course of the year, and uh, you know what I think I, th- I think we've done a pretty good job of, of hitting uh, a lot of the key issues and key developments in this program over the year. Uh, I look back and some of the things that that we've talked about uh, have been you know diversity in in the legal profession, the gender gap. Uh, we've talked about whether Big firms are getting bigger. Whether salaries are getting too big, uh, we we talk, of course, about about Katrina and its, its impact uh, on the legal profession. Uh, we looked at issues like e-discovery. We've we've done a couple of shows now on on the Viox litigation, which continues to be a, a very timely uh, topic and continues to to kind of. Uh, keep us on the edge of our seats every day. I still want to get Tom Girardi and the uh, Merck General Counsel on the same show. We've got to get them on the same show at some point. Uh, it, you know, it's been interesting. We just we just saw what uh, uh, two uh, uh, two juries go for uh, uh, for Merck in the last couple of weeks. That's right. Um, and uh, the, the scorecard is. You know, Merck's strategy, we've had both plaintiff and defense lawyers on the show talking about Merck's strategy of of promising to try every one of these cases. And, uh, you know, right now, so far, it's working for them. I think that we're going to find that Merck is going to be successful because they've figured out the strategy for the defense and they've tailored it to each individual jurisdiction. And I think that, you know, if, and I don't want to get early in predicting because I know we'll probably do a show in the beginning of the year in terms of predicting what's going to be up for next year. But I think we're going to see a swing in the way that general counsel uh, and companies choose to defend class action lawsuits. And uh, I suspect or or these large uh, kind of multi-district litigation lawsuits, I think we're going to see more adoption of the Merck try each case individual strategy. Right, and of course, the Class Action Fairness Act, which uh, was enacted this year, was was another big legal story, and which will have have an impact on how that plays out. And was one of our shows. And was one of our shows. Yeah, uh, the Supreme Court, of course. You know, I mean, I alluded to this, and I, I have to say that 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 continues to be, and it will continue to be, the big legal story. And again, I don't want to get into a lot of uh, prognosticating for next year, but it, but it's interesting that perhaps. Uh, Two of the potentially biggest stories in law have really yet to fully play out, and one is the Supreme Court. I mean, we're starting to see uh, hints at the shaping of this of this Roberts Alito court. We see Justice Kennedy coming out as 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 the new uh, key swing voter, um, but you know there, there have been very few decisions so far, and, uh, and and the real impact of that is going to be felt uh, as 2007. Arrives and, and the court starts to issue decisions on some of these key cases they've been hearing and will continue to hear. 
Well, we just did a show on global warming. It'll be interesting to see the outcome of that case, right, from the Supreme Court. And then, then of course, the other potentially uh, interesting uh, development to follow in terms of its impact on the law will be will be the recent elections, and, and we've we've alluded to that on this program as well. But you know, it, it's too early to tell whether uh, whether the this sort of uh, uh, democratic wave that, that swept over the the country will will have an impact um, on uh, on legislatures or on legal policy over the next few years. Um, but it's likely that it will, and, and we're really not sure how that's going to play out yet. Well, I'm just glad to see all the election signs down. It, it's good, yeah. <laughs> Of course, in California, you actually have uh, lawns. You can see we're just we're just for us. They're just snow barriers here. Uh, what about technology? Have you, uh, what do you what do you see as some of the big developments uh, in legal technology over the past year? Well, there have been some significant develops, and I think some major hiccups. Uh, and if I were to classify uh, the law in tech, I would classify it as the year of the hiccup. Um, there have been some significant changes. Uh, Lexus has been buying up some of the. Uh, major providers, but Lexus has yet to really make uh, their presence felt in terms of the quality and the changes in the programs. We use a, a particular program that I'm having a very difficult time trying to work with that uh, I, I'm, I'm very frustrated about. And I'm kind of one of those tech geeks in terms of getting things uh, early and making sure that they work right and integrating them with the systems. And uh, I think that there's been a lot of advancements in legal technology. Certainly, e-discovery uh, is the largest one that's going to affect all of us from a practice standpoint. Um, and I'm wondering how long it's going to take the federal e-discovery rules to trickle down into the states uh, and how the, the concepts of uh, the changes that are going to occur. I guess if I were to, to uh, choose one company to, or one stock to be in, I would probably be buying up stocks of the uh, companies that are starting up handling e-discovery because I think it's going to be a records management uh, next year is going to be huge and there will be a significant number of, of uh, amount of money rather to be made in that industry. Uh, E-filing has been around for a while, um, so that's nothing that's really new. In fact, uh, it's kind of old hat. We're finding here in California that um, we just, for one of our clients, submitted a, a, a franchise application, and it went in on a CD, which just about floored me because uh, to have a state uh, agency say, we don't want any paper, we just give it to us on a CD, was a, a new twist. I hadn't seen that so far. And I, I continue to be uh, uh, intrigued by the tools that uh, continue to arrive to make law practice easier. I mean, you, you alluded to the fact that some of these don't always work as they should. Uh, I've been fascinated this year by what, they're, what they call Web 2.0, uh, this sort of uh, 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 you know, second generation of web-based products and services that, that uh, are very much like the desktop applications, but they exist in, in a virtual environment, and, and there are now any number of uh, free uh, you know, word processing, spreadsheets, uh, presentation programs, billing programs uh, available through an array of, of Web 2.0 sites. I earlier this year I, I started out to write <coughs> uh, an installment of my uh, law technology news column, my WebWatch column on Web 2.0. 
what what started out to be a single column uh, quickly became two columns, and finally it became three columns because there was so much interesting stuff going on there. Uh, and I, I think that's something that's going to continue to develop, and it, it's it's significant, particularly for lawyers and smaller firms that that uh, you know can't rely on uh, uh, purchasing lots of expensive software. Uh, it, it also uh, it, it's fantastic for its ability to uh, enable collaboration uh, among lawyers in diverse locations, uh, bringing us closer and closer to the you know to the virtual law firm. Well, one of the things I think has been very interesting in the legal technology field is the lack of uh, law firms to adopt this wave of Web 2.0 uh, social networking that's been out there. Been a lot of sites that have popped up: MySpace, YouTube, um, Dig, and uh, any number of other sites that really have turned on people's interest and willingness to participate in a social networking type of thing. But yet, law firm websites are as boring as they were in you know Web 0.1. Um, there really hasn't, other than blogs, um, and to some degree those are interactive, but nowhere near as interactive as the social networking sites. So it would be interesting to see whether there is a legal uh, or a technology product next year or in the ensuing years that uh, integrates some type of social networking into law firms. I'm not actually, actually sure how it would work, but it's certainly an interesting concept. So I don't know if you, um, what your thoughts are on whether law firms and websites, Bob, um, are, are going to be able to adopt any of the social networking concepts that we've seen in YouTube and Dig and um, MySpace. But um, it would certainly be interesting to see that kind of a product be developed. That is interesting. I haven't really thought a lot about that. Do you have thoughts on how that could play out or how that could, how law firms could use that? Well, it seems that there's a part of a, you know, a much... Um, and I, you know, I know that you have some uh, gray and white hair, and I know I have some. Uh, and I'm not as as interested. I don't even. Do you have a MySpace um, website, Bob? I do not. Um, may it please the court, actually does, but I don't know that it uh, is tremendously active. But um, I, I think that if there's going to be an adoption or integration of social networking in a law firm or law firms' websites with clients. I think that it's going to have to take uh, the form of an internal uh, style of a website that's accessible to clients and perhaps potential clients. But I see that as uh, there's some you know, conflict of interest and uh, attorney-client privilege and all types of hurdles that are going to have to get overcome in order to make that happen. But I think that social networking and your, your comments about Web 2.0 are ones that are, are uh, ripe for some development there. And um, I can be willing to bet that if some of our former guests like Denise Howell and Dennis Kennedy are listening, that they're going to be thinking about it as well and saying, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, and, and another former guest of ours who was on our, our prediction show last year, Carolyn Elephant, who, of course, writes a lot about solo and small firm practice, uh, you know, was, was among her predictions last year was that this would be a year in, in which uh, this virtualization would continue to uh, play a role in 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 allowing uh, lawyers more freedom in how they practice law, and, and in allowing lawyers uh, in practice areas that traditionally belong to the larger firms uh, to move into smaller firms and solo practices. Uh, you know, it used to be the solo practice was the domain of the of the generalist, and now more and more we see lawyers with. Uh, uh, you know, 
sort of corporate specialties uh, moving into solo practices and being able to do so because of these Internet tools. Well, Bob, I'm going to switch gears from technology for just a moment and put you on the spot and ask you what you think was one of our more interesting shows this year as you look back on the the year. Um, You know, I don't know. I I looked back. I actually, as I said, I went back and I kind of looked back at a lot of the shows we did. And uh, it's hard to pick one for me. Um, And uh, you can put me on the spot, but I'm not sure I can answer. Um, I have thought that uh, they were all interesting. I think, to me, possibly the, the most memorable one uh, was a somewhat a self-serving answer, but I, I, when when we hit our anniversary and we did a program and we had you know some other top podcasters and bloggers on to talk about that, uh, that was memorable for me just because it was significant to me that we had done this uh, consistently for a year, and uh, and we've been able to get some pretty good feedback on it. How about you? I would agree with you. I think that that was one of the more interesting shows. For me personally, um, I was blown away by two of the shows. Um, and I, I can't stop thinking about Simone uh, Montesibian, who was the U.N. war crimes uh, attorney, who talked about the trials that she handles in Rwanda and some of the other countries uh, dealing with genocide and some of the larger issues uh, that we see in terms of human rights abuses, it just um, shook me to listen to uh, the kind of cases that are are out there and the breadth of the law. And I sit in front of a computer and I submit briefs and argue for clients, and uh, you know it's, it's a typical private practice. But to listen to someone like that who is involved in, you know, a a tremendously foreign country from anything that I'm used to seeing and listen to uh, just the the emotion and the the depth of the involvement of of her involvement in those cases, I thought was was tremendously interesting. And uh, it um, inspired me, actually, to join uh, and offer my services to Lawyers Without Borders. So it was a it was a moving show for me. Um, the other one that I liked a lot was a recent show that we did with Manger Engels from uh, Iraq, just to listen to the uh, level of work that uh, Judge Advocate General Jag lawyers do, uh, and the level of devotion that they have to fellow servicemen in their country. And it probably means more to me um, because I was in the military, but it was just nice to hear and. Uh, good to hear Major Engels uh, and give him the opportunity to, to get on the air and, and educate some of our listeners about uh, the military aspect. I guess for me, it's the seeing the breadth of the law in the show that has really opened up my eyes. Well, that's, that's really the, the key to me as I look back. I mean, we've had you know in, incredibly serious topics such as the ones you just alluded to. We, we've had a, 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 some, some pretty funny shows. Uh, you know, we had the lawyers who, who, writ, who wrote the baseball encyclopedia on uh we've looked at humor we had the lawyer who writes christmas music on uh you know we, we've had a, a a real breadth of of shows and topics uh and i you know i i hope something that we can do over over the next year is to really expand that breadth uh on a more global basis the very kinds of programs that you were just talking about uh the the, the great thing about this technology is how easy it is to to 
to branch out globally. And, and, the, and the striking thing is is how how diverse uh, the legal issues and the practice of law really remains uh, around the world. Uh, we it's not all as homogenized as we see it here in the United States. When you know, Bob, I think that it reminds me in, in listening to both of us talk about the shows that we've done the last year and the kinds of things that we've covered. We really owe, as uh, two people that are listeners here, uh, at least the voices, uh, a debt of thanks to the Legal Talk Network, uh, to Lou Ann Reeve, to Scott Hess, to Kate Kenny, to Mike and Bob, and all the rest of the team of our producers who um, we t- frequently tell our guests talk in our ears and they can't hear us um, and talk to us during the programs. And uh, Kate diligently writes a, a uh, three or four page script for us to uh, with some suggested questions and introductions for the guests. And, and uh, the Legal Talk Network uh, goes out of their way to arrange all of these top notch guests that we've had. And if it were not for them, this program uh, would certainly would not exist, and I think uh, not have reached the level of apparent popularity that it has um, because of their hard work. I mean, we just sit here and talk, and uh, they're the ones that really uh, put the show together and do the, all the hard work for us. Well, that's that's obviously true, and, and the, the uh, advantage that they bring to this program among uh, among their many talents is is that they are broadcast professionals. They are people who've worked in this field over the years. And, you know, I, some, a lot of lawyers will ask me the questions of, well, can I, can I do a website myself? Can I do a podcast myself? And, and of course, the question is, you, the answer is that you can, uh, but you, you get what you pay for. Um, and, and I'm, uh, you know, they, sometimes having a, a professional to work with in, in, in doing this kind of product uh, really makes all the, all the difference. And uh, we've been incredibly fortunate to, to have the ability to work with all the folks at the Legal Talk Network. Well, Craig, I wonder if it's time now to uh, to uh, turn turn to the holidays a little bit. And uh, you know, I've I've uh, I understand there's a, a story out there about the night before Christmas, uh, written by somebody named Clement Clark Moore. But I understand there's there's another version circulating around that uh, has a little bit of a legal twist to it. Well, there's probably a transactional lawyer that's that's out there that's responsible for this thing, but it came to me in an email, and I thought it was so well-written in terms of legalese that um, I put it up on my blog last year before Christmas, and uh, Kate has asked that we uh, include it to wrap up our program. Do we know who to give credit to for this or not? Actually, I don't. Um, it is one of those mysterious emails that uh, gets sent around by... Um, uh, friends of mine, and uh, I don't know who wrote it. And if the person who wrote it that hears it wants to take credit for it, uh, let me know. Let us know, and we will provide credit. Uh, but I don't know who wrote it. It certainly wasn't me. Um, I, I uh, actually, <laughs> we have a uh, an edict in the firm that you don't write like this. Um, <laughs> but to to read it. Um, or to write it is uh, is it's abs- kind of a, an interesting take on uh, the night before Christmas. So well, that said, we are the the uh, coast to coast is proud to present a dramatic reading of "Twas the Night Before Christmas," legally speaking, from J. Craig Williams. Whereas 
On or about the night prior to Christmas, there did occur at a certain improved piece of real property here and after the house a general lack of stirring by all creatures therein, including but not limited to, to wit, a mouse. A variety of foot apparel, e.g. stockings, stock, socks, etc. et al., had been temporarily affixed by and around the chimney in said house with appropriate care in the hope and or belief that St. Nick, a.k.a. St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Santa Claus, here and after Claus, would arrive at some time thereafter. Their minor residents, i.e. the children of the aforementioned house, were located in or around their individual sleeping locations, or beds, and were nestled and engaged in nocturnal hallucinations, i.e. dreams, wherein visions of confectionery treats, including but not limited to candies, nuts, and or sugar plums, without and not meeting FDA labeling requirements, did dance, cavort, and or otherwise appear in said dreams. Whereupon the party of the first part, sometimes here and after referred to as I, or I, being the joint owner and or tenant in common in fee simple absolute of the house with the party of the second part, here and after Mama, and said Mama, had retired for a sustained period of sleep. At such time, the parties of both parts were clad in various forms of headgear, e.g. kerchief and cap, for a long seasonal Paren, quote, winter, unquote, close paren, nap. Suddenly, and without prior notice or warning, there did occur on the unimproved real property adjacent and appurtenant to said house, i.e. the lawn, a certain disruption of unknown nature, cause and or circumstance, clatter. The party of the first part, I, did immediately rush to a fenestration, also known as a window, in the house to investigate the cause of such disturbance. In the process, the party of the first part, I, mistakenly tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The party of the first part noticed the moon in full phase on the topmost part of the new fallen snow. The party of the first part was informed and believed, and based upon such information and belief, alleged that said moon gave the luster of midday, otherwise known as noon, to objects below. At that time, party of the first part, I, did observe, with some degree of wonder and or disbelief, a miniature sleigh, here and after the vehicle, being pulled and or drawn very rapidly through the air by approximately eight, paren, number eight, close paren, reindeer. The driver of the vehicle appeared to be, and in fact was, the previously referenced clause. Said clause was providing specific direction, instruction, and guidance to the approximately eight, paren, number eight, close paren, reindeer, and specifically identified the animal co-conspirators by name, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, and Blitzen, here and after known as the Deer. Upon information and belief, it is further asserted that an additional co-conspirator named Rudolph may have been involved. The party of the first part witnessed Claus, the vehicle, and the deer intentionally and willfully trespass upon the top of porches, walls, and or roofs of several residences located adjacent to and in the vicinity of the house, and noted that the vehicle was heavily laden with packages, toys, and other items of unknown origin and or nature. Suddenly, without prior invitation or permission, either expressed or implied, the vehicle arrived at the house, and Claus entered said house via the chimney. 
Said Claus was clad in a red fur suit with white fur, which was partially covered with residue from the chimney, and he carried a large sack containing a portion of the aforementioned packages, toys, and other unknown items. He was smoking what appeared to be tobacco in a small pipe and blowing circles that resembled wreaths in blatant violation of local ordinances and health regulations. The party of the first part observed that Claus's eyes would not have passed a field sobriety test in that they twinkled. Moreover, Claus's facial expressions, i.e. dimples, appeared to be overly joyful. As further evidence of his state of being, Claus's cheeks were very red, almost like roses. His nose was likewise red like a cherry. Claus's mouth could have been said to look like a bow, and extended hair growth under his chin could likewise be said to be as white as the snow. Although Claus did not speak, he did laugh, which caused his rotund stomach area to move about in a manner similar to, but not quite like, a bowl full of jelly. Claus thereafter immediately began to fill the stocking of the minor children, which hung adjacent to the chimney with toys and other small gifts. Said items did not, however, constitute gifts to said minor pursuant to the applicable provisions of the U.S. tax code. Upon such completion of this task, Claus touched the side of his nose and flew, rose, and or ascended up the chimney of the house to the roof where the vehicle and deer waited and served as lookouts. Claus immediately departed for an unknown destination. However, prior to the departure of the vehicle, deer, and claws from said house, the party of the first part did hear claws state and or exclaim, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Or words to that effect. Craig, somehow you uh, neglected to mention the federal securities investigation of uh, S. Claus for his monopolization of Christmas, or the... uh, subsequent field sobriety test administered to him when they noticed his red nose and red cheeks. I'm sure that Elliot Spitzer will get to that. <laughs> uh, but but this uh, this party of the second part wishes to uh, extend to you, the party of the first part, uh, my sincere uh, holiday wishes and best wishes, and also my, my, my great thanks to you for uh, uh, bringing me into this podcast with you and, and uh, uh, having allowing me to be your, your partner on this over the past year. It's been a lot of fun, and I look forward to continuing to do it. Well, the feeling is likewise mutual to be included as why the party of the first part to the party of the second part and to wish uh, all of the parties of the third part, which would, I guess would be our guests, and the parties of the fourth estate, um, Kate and uh, Mike and Scott and Lou and Bob, at the Legal Talk Network, everyone, a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, and all of the other appropriate holidays that uh, exist at this time of year, including New Year's, but not limited to. Case closed, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Bob. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. 
Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.